Hello, good evening. Today's word comes from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 6, verse 1 to 15. Okay, let me turn there. Okay, this is the word of God. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 to 15. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines, castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. Took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And he was told, King David, the Lord had blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to please teach us how to fear you, for you are one to be feared. Help us to grow deeper in knowledge and the love of you. May the preaching of your word through the servant prophet the brothers here, and though it is only for a moment, help me to take part in the work that you are doing at FLM. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, good afternoon. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I want to take time to firstly thank uh, Pastor Jay and also the VT leaders for permitting me to man the pulpit today. Um, I almost didn't make it, actually, because I fell sick on Thursday, and also Friday I had a cold, but um, I don't think I've ever recovered from a cold that quickly. Um, uh, Also, I don't think it's anything compared to what Pastor Jay's going through right now. Um, It's tough being on holidays. You know, with all the eating, experiencing all the new new things, you know. Now, Pastor Jay actually doesn't like holidays. Uh, So, well... Do I just... Yeah, were you good? <laughs> okay. Yeah, so Pastor Jay actually doesn't like holidays, so you, 
don't send him on holidays anymore. Um, actually, Pastor Jay sent me a... Oh, it's going again. Pastor Jay actually sent me a few messages. I might read it out to you guys. I hope he doesn't mind, but I'm going to show you how much, how much uh, hardship he's experiencing at the moment. Let's see. This is what he, uh, this is what he sent to me. Uh, he said, where is it? It's been very tiring. Lots of walking, dot, dot. It's hot and humid. Only redeeming aspect was the food. I had the most juicy and tender katsu. <laughs> My feet are on fire. I've been walking for nine, ten hours. I made it to the hotel finally. My ankle, I can't move my left foot. So clearly he's having a very tough time, so please pray for him. Um, but in all serious, uh, seriousness, please pray that he gets a good rest, though. Um, I don't think he gets much rest, that guy. Uh, my name's Alvin. I'm actually a very close friend of Pastor Jay. Uh, hopefully I can become a close uh, brother and uh, a friend, uh, minister in the Lord uh, with this church, too. Uh, this afternoon, actually, uh, on a different note, we will look at a tragic event that happened in Scripture. And I know there is no shortage of tragic moments in the Bible. It's full of them. The shock of this particular event was actually particularly jarring because it was in the midst of a celebration. That's what I was trying to say. It was at a time and a place where it was least expected. There are many disasters in this world. Now, we just need to turn on the news and we can see it straight away. We don't need to go looking for it. But there is nothing more tragic than a people who live their life without ever knowing God, without ever knowing the love of God. Now, it's not a sad thing for a person to give up a promotion at work just because they need to spend more time in the church to serve. And it's not a sad thing that a missionary might go to the mission field and their life is cut short for serving God. For us, it's actually quite different from the way that the world might perceive our life. When we make certain sacrifices as a Christian, for us, it's actually a glorious thing. Also for us, it's a tragic affair for a person to live a long and full life and never know God and never come to worship the God that, they, that God has created them. So let me say this. How much more of a tragedy is it for a person to go to church become familiar with the Word of God, become familiar with the way that we do church, and never truly know God. So the event in question today, the one that we have just read, is peculiar. And it also perplexes our sensibilities. It actually is meant to make you stop for a moment and to ponder, what on earth just happened? The first time I came across this passage, I had to do a double take because I felt like, did I, did I miss something? Well, clearly, I've missed something. And also, the Israelites who were taking the ark missed something too. Now, the devil is in the details here. So what on earth happened? Now, I'm aware that you are going through the book of Mark. Uh, so as Pastor Jay's on holidays, I'll be uh, giving you guys a break from the Old Testament to take a gander through the Old Testament for two weeks. Now, I need to provide a bit of background information about this particular passage. Before Jerusalem, as we know it, was the capital city of Israel, the capital city, well, the spiritual capital was a place called Shiloh. In 1 Samuel, if you open up there, the setting is Shiloh. 
And it was the spiritual capital because the Ark of the Covenant resided there. So before Jerusalem, the spiritual capital was Shiloh. And the Ark of the Covenant there had a bit of a journey because there was a war that had broken out and the Ark of the Covenant was actually captured. It was captured, but not for long because the Ark of the Covenant actually made its way back to the people of God. However, it didn't go back to Shiloh. It went to a different place, and a family of keepers of the ark was set up in order, that, in order for the ark of the covenant to be kept safe. Now, it was 20 years from that point to the place that we are at now. And for 10 years, a person called David came onto the scene and set himself to become the next king of not just Jerusalem, not just Judah, but Israel altogether. And so Jerusalem was David's capital city. And so he was a man of God. He did not forget the Ark of the Covenant. So he goes out and gets the Ark of the Covenant and brings it to his main city, his capital. Not only was it a political capital, but he was trying to fuse the spiritual capital and the political capital into one. And so it was a momentous occasion for the Ark of the Covenant to be brought. So David musters up his army, begins to transport the ark. They put the ark on the cart, as it says in verse 3. And he was driven by two brothers, Uzzah and Ahio, who were sons in the family that were keepers of the ark. So there was a whole procession. There was a whole procession as the ark moved along. They were singing. There were songs, playing all sorts of instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. It was a joyful occasion and one that looked very similar to what we know as praise and worship. So here we are in the text today. But when they came to a certain point in the journey, the oxen slips or trips. We're not sure what happened, but it shakes the cart and the ark seemingly is about to topple over and hit the ground. So what does any person with sense do? Tries to steady the ark. Uzzah, who is driving from the back, reaches out his hand, and upon touching it, life exits his body. It's not the ark that hits the ground, but the lifeless body of Uzzah. So if we were to imagine this for a brief moment, the whole procession comes to a halt. The singing and the instruments awkwardly start to fade away as the shock of a person dying in the midst of this celebration begins to reverberate through the procession. And the Bible says, David feared God that day. Not only did it shake the procession, but it shook David to his heart. And so mid-journey, he leaves it at a house of someone called Obed-Edom. Why did Uzzah die? Now, we can write this, off, write this incident off as a freak accident, and we could just turn the page and move on. But the question is this. How many accidents do you ever see in the Bible? How many things happen in the Bible with no purpose at all? Perhaps this isn't an accident. Perhaps there is a lesson to be learned. This becomes quite a curious case, what happened to Uzzah. But let's look at the facts of the matter. Look at verse 3. 
If you've got your Bible, if, if no, it's not there. Look at the Bible, verse 3, it says this. They put the ark on a new cart. That's it. Remember, I said the devil's in the details on a new cart because it had no previous use. It was done with good intentions. It was probably, it just came out of the manufacturing. It hasn't been used for anything else. Instead, they were thinking, we'll use it for a holy purpose. So, I would think, with any sort of discernment that we might have, it was a good thing that they were trying to do. It was done with good intention. Now, do you know those uh, cards when you were, I don't know, when you were a kid, you had those chip packets, and it's kind of like a promotion, so you buy more chips, and there's cards have, like, football players on them, and if you turn it around at different angles, the image starts to move. So the guy's got a ball, and then you turn it a few degrees, and then he's passing it. You know that? No, just me. Thank you. So some trivia. This I, I try to look at what this thing was, what this technique or technology is. And it's called lenticular printing. And what it does, it allows more than one image to be seen on a flat surface. So as we look at this detail, new cart, from one perspective, it does seem like a good thing. It seems like it was the right thing to do. But if I was to go to a different perspective, something wrong is actually happening here. There is only one way in which the people of God are commanded to move the ark. It's not on the cart. It's not on any other transportation, but on the shoulders of priests. The prescribed mode has been set in stone. Any Israelite who knew the word of God well enough, as soon as they saw the ark on a cart, they would have thought, something's wrong. They would have felt it. Something's terribly wrong. It's not enough that we have good intentions in the church. It's not enough to have good intentions alone in any relationship. We must know. Now, the description of how they were transporting the cart would not have sit correctly with any person trained in the law not by any other person who has been trained with the discernment by wrestling with God's word. Now, this detail is actually a technique. It's called foreshadowing. Something's about to happen. Something's not right. And the Bible uses foreshadowing quite frequently to tell us that something's about to happen. Now, if you cannot pick it up, it might be because you lack knowledge of the Word of God. A spiritual child, if you were spiritually immature, you will live your life without ever having alarm bells ring. But for those who are mature, not only are they able to see red flags in their own life, but when they are, consult when they are counseling other people, they are able to see things in that person's life and get a feeling that I must pray. There's a reason why that there are leaders and the leaders must know the word of God deeply. It's because these people are the ones directing the church. Now, why was there such an oversight? And I would like to go a bit deeper. 
deconstructed. Uzzah was around the ark from a very young age, no doubt. His family had been keepers of the ark for a very long time. He would have been taught how to handle the ark because the ark was actually a dangerous thing to handle. One wrong move and death would enter. He should have known. He should have known what type of attitude that he had to have. He should have known the laws, should have meditated on those laws. The history of the ark is something that they should have been the ones that were keeping it. So if anyone who should know better, it was that family. Uzzah should have known better. I might add, perhaps, and I say perhaps, take it with a grain of salt, perhaps. Perhaps Uzzah got familiar, got used to being around the ark. Perhaps the opportunity to deepen, really deepen his affections for the things of God was always in front of him, but he missed it because he just got familiar. He knew what to do. He knew the things, to, he, he, he knew the lingo. He knew the dates. He knew what he had to do at certain times. But in terms of his heart, did it ever go deeper? Or did he just get familiar with everything? Now, this was one of the flaws of the Israelites. They knew how to make sacrifices. They knew how to offer the lambs, the goats, the blood offerings, the waving offerings, the grain offerings. They knew how to do all these things. But the great flaw of the Israelites was that their heart was never present. And so God says in the book of Isaiah, I'm sick of all your offerings. It's not that that I desired. Our goal is to not just get familiar with the things of God, but to truly know God. But the Israelites missed the point. We must be impacted by the word today. We must have a high view of scripture, and that should never be lost. Familiarity breeds complacency, and complacency gets us to take things for granted, and we know from our own experiences. It's not just a relationship with God, but the relationships that we have with one another. If we start to take each other for granted, though we get familiar, could we ever deepen our affections? Who knows if Uzzah began truly to love God from the beginning. But just as rust can destroy something as strong as steel, complacency, taking things can taking things for granted, can surely rust something as strong as love. And so the Bible says in verse 7, Uzzah's actions were, in a different translation, NIV will say irreverent. The ESV says error. It was an act that did not fear God and count the things of God as holy. Now, there is a seriousness that has disappeared from many churches because people get familiar with it. There is a saying that I love, and I always keep this in the back pocket, and it's this. God is serious for those who are serious for him. In the same way, if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. So, if you are serious for God, don't be caught lacking. 
Don't be caught lacking knowledge. Don't just run on good intentions alone because that could be a recipe for a disaster. Now, what we have read about Uzzah was not an accident, and I will tell you why. I want to draw your attention to the place where this occurred. Where did it occur? It occurred in a place called the threshing floor of Nakon. Is anyone familiar with threshing or have some, I see some nods, but for those who don't know what threshing is, it's a farming activity. When you go out to the field, you gather grains. Uh, the grains that you pick usually have like a film or around it. It's something weightless, husks, or the Bible refers to it as chaff. Once you gather all this all together, you put it in a pile, and then you get a threshing fork or winnowing fork, and then you, what you essentially do is you lift up the grain up into the air. And what ends up happening is it should be done on a windy day. The wind will blow through it while it's in the air, and everything that is weightless will be separated and carried away by the wind. What ends up falling down is just the grain alone, the thing of substance. Everything weightless, futile, goes away. The threshing floor in the Bible is used often as a symbolic place. In the Bible of separating God's people from sin. Separating from sin. Read Psalm 1. They shall be like chaff that the wind drives away. Who? The one who sits, stands, uh, and walks in the way of ungodliness. But an interesting fact is that the place that you thresh at, the threshing floor, what they would try to do is they would have it as flat as possible. The threshing floor must be the flattest ground, the most level ground that we have. So what I'm trying to tell you is the oxen decides to slip and trip at the most stable part of the journey. I said the devil was in the details, but now I'm saying God is in the details. God has a message, well, had a message for David, had a message for the whole procession. The story in the Bible is not just about Uzzah, but it's also about David. David saw what had happened. He stopped the procession, and the event causes a shift in David's attitude. The shock came to his heart. Bible says, verse 9, that David feared the Lord that day. Now, we understand fear as only as a negative emotion. But if you've been to church for a long time, you don't regard it as that as anymore. But usually, fear is something that cripples. Well, fear of the wrong thing cripples, but fear of the right thing preserves life. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So why would such a negative emotion be the beginning of anything positive, let alone something like wisdom? Christians do not need to be, and I don't know if anyone would disagree, but this is me. Christians do not need to be. They, they don't have to be. They don't, it's not a must be intellectual. I, I don't believe that they have to be intellectual. But if you believe in the Bible, what the Christian has to be, what they must 
They must be wise. You don't need to be intellectual, but you must be wise. And if you want to be wise, you cannot be wise if you do not fear God. So David realizes that the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's presence, is not something light, but this is weighty business. It requires our attention and seriousness. So three months go by and the Ark of the Covenant is at this person's house, Obed-Edom. With those three months, David had time to reflect. He was bothered by what had happened. I'm pretty sure that he was not only shaken, but it would have been also in embarrassing moments. If I, if I kind of have, if my picture of David is right, I would think that he mulled over it, probably went to the law of God, meditated on it day and night, tried to understand the weightiness of the things of God. But as those three months were passing, something peculiar was happening again about the ark. News began to spread that the ark of the covenant was blessing the household of Obed-Edom. We don't know how, and we don't know what kind of news spread, but I'm telling you it was good news because when David heard it, he gained some sort of an assurance that the Ark of the Covenant can now come to him. It was a reminder to him that the things of God do not produce death, but the things of God produce life and blessing. So I believe what God had formed in David was a correct balance. When we think about church having the fear of God, we like to think that the church would have no passion because of it. They would be, as some people call it, the frozen chosen. To celebrate and have joy is something that is foreign to the experience in some churches. Yet if we look at David, who again had to learn the fear of God in a deep way, see how he brought the ark the second time. David went, brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark, the Bible says, when those who bore the ark, bore the ark, not on the cart anymore, but on the shoulders of priests, they fixed, they corrected their worship of the Lord. And when they had gone six steps, he sacrificed, David sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with great might, undignified, humiliatingly. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. David praised God greater than the first time. The fear of God and the experience of this shock did not mute the songs, nor did it dull the instruments, nor kill the passion. It brought David and the Israelites into right relationship, into right worship. And one of the best lessons I've ever learned in seminary, it was one of the first classes I had. He began, the lecturer began with this. Right theology leads to right doxology. Right theology, meaning right knowledge of God. Right doxology is right glorification of God. Right worship. Now to put it into simple terms, how must we love the Lord today? It's not enough to have good intentions. It is not enough to become familiar. We must really know him. We must grow in reverence towards him. 
I've heard this saying and I believe it with all my heart. And I'll say it again. I've said this before. God is serious for those who are serious for him. Now, the shock of Uzzah's death emits through the pages and it causes the readers to, sh- to stop, just as the procession stopped. This shock value is to impart to the, the people of God back then and hopefully to the people of God today to stop and to learn wisdom. The lesson to be learned for David may not have been clear at first. In the days, it may not have been only later that when he saw the ark blessing Obed-Eden, that David was impressed with a great lesson. Right knowledge equals right worship. And this is a relationship that we must have with God. As you can see, the account of David's retrieval of the ark contains many elements for the church to learn. And it can be applied to the individual. And unlike the passage, the present church actually has no object quite like the ark of God. And I don't think we should seek any equivalent physical object like the ark of God. Now, we're not supposed to look for it because it actually wasn't the physical object that demanded careful treatment. It wasn't the gold that the ark was overladen with that was the thing that we are to revere. It's not the acacia wood that it was built by, built with, that we are to revere. It's not even the two cherubim that sat on the lid that we are to revere. Rather, it says in the word that it was the name of God by which it was called. So although there is no specific holy object for us today, there is a figure that contains the fullness of God in him. Jesus Christ is the object of worship today, is the object of our reverence. The difference between the ark and and Christ, though, is this. The ark had to be brought into Jerusalem. And it had to consider many things in order to do it correctly. But Christ didn't have to be brought. Christ came and with two feet, he walked to Jerusalem. Today, Christ is not waiting for us to do things correctly so that he will be brought But he comes to us. He comes to Jerusalem. He comes to the people of God. In Uzzah's case, one died so that all might learn. But in the gospel, one died so that all might live. Something about God that I want to say is that he doesn't leave his people in death, in the shadow of death. Didn't leave David in the Old Testament and nor does the New Testament idea of God, leave his people in death. Though for a moment we might walk in the shadow of death, but Christ is with us and he will lead us. So how are we to love him? We must have a high view of the scriptures. We must know him correctly so that we might love him properly. Let's pray. Father, please impress on our hearts that the word of God is so important when it comes to our worship of you. As we read these pages, let it instruct us on how to view you, what our posture should be. And when it does, may the worship that we bring, not only on a weekly basis, but daily, 
that it be pleasing to you. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who did not need to be brought, but he came on his own accord to give his life for the ransom of many. In Jesus' name we pray.